I don't know if any of you have seen the uh, movie uh, Wall Street. Any, anyone seen the movie Wall Street? Uh, well, that's okay. You should all go home and watch it. And when you do, you'll see uh, uh, there's a rather famous little bit in it. Uh, and I'm going to show you the famous bit now. So uh, eyes to the screen as we hear Gordon Gecko tell us about greed. I am not a destroyer of companies. I am a liberator of them. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms. Greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind, and greed, you mark my words, will not only save Teldar paper, but that other malfunctioning corporation called the USA. Thank you very much. Clap, clap, clap. Greed is good. It's sort of shocking, isn't it, to sit here and uh, uh, hear him say that out loud, but at the same time, it's kind of, uh, uh, you kind of get what he's saying, don't you, right? Like that uh, growth and uh, the, the pursuit of more, it works out well for everyone. I mean, that's what we believe, isn't it, as Western capitalists, that greed and growth is good. Well, we'd say, I, I, I don't think that's quite what I, I, I believe. Uh, I don't think that's quite right. And yet, we might think that greed, uh, as people who live in the West, who, you know, kind of uh, share in the victory of the Cold War, uh, uh, Western world over communist, uh, uh, non-capitalist, uh, Soviet Union, we, we have become comfortable with the idea of greed, of growth. Uh, it is normal, it is what we expect. Or is it? What actually is greed? That's the first thing we need to consider if we're going to uh, examine this capital vice uh, in order to examine uh, how our hearts are doing with it. Well, you'll remember from previous weeks that capital vices are heart issues, that what we have are disordered loves in our hearts, things that are all out of whack. There's, there's often in many of these things a, a good part of them, uh, but what happens uh, with these sins is we get them all out of order. And so when it comes to greed, whilst we might suspect that uh, we or someone else has a problem if they're trying to earn as much money or we're trying to earn as much money as we can and we're spending lavishly on our own lifestyle. Uh, it's not necessarily those things that are the problem, but rather they can be signs of a heart that is disordered, or of a heart that has gone astray. So you, you might remember uh, a, a few 
probably months ago now, when we were back in Luke's Gospel, we encountered the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18. And you'll remember that uh, Jesus uh, tells him, as he stands before Jesus with all his self-righteous law-keeping, he says to him this, when Jesus heard this, that he, that he thinks he's a good person who, who's done everything that God would require of him, Jesus said to him, verse 22 of chapter 18 of Luke's Gospel, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad, the rich young man, because he was very wealthy. And it wasn't, we saw then, the fact that he was wealthy that was so much the problem, Jesus was confronting his heart, his self-righteous, self-sufficient heart. The problem with wealth is that it creates a false sense of security that can prevent one from truly meeting with God, the sustainer and provider of all things. Greed is occurring when we, Aquinas says, when we excessively love or desire money or any possession money can buy. It's that uh, want in excess. And Aquinas talks about how this can be uh, both uh, exhibited in the life of one who has plenty, but also in the life of one who has little. And so he talks about the prodigal son in Luke 15 as an illustration of greed. He says, it's not just uh, the greed to hoard and build more barns and have more stuff in them, but in fact, greed can be uh, about our misuse of money, our unwise use of money, our obsession with having it so that we can do what we want, which can ultimately lead to poverty. It's about both gain and obsession with gain, be it for the love of money or the love of spending or the thought that with it we will be self-sufficient. It's about a heart that is full of self-obsession, that fails to love neighbour, fails to consider generosity of spirit, fails to consider what it looks like to use money with justice, particularly for those who are without. And the heart that gets greed right, that is, that has an appropriate relationship with the acquirement of things, uh, has, a, has a sense of detachment from money or material wealth or goods. Not that you can't like things or want things, but they are not where your meaning is created. Greed, you see, is not about possessions and having and the ability to spend, but it's about a heart that loves it, that is obsessed with possessions and money and having more. And we see, don't we, uh, as I've already sort of foreshadowed, that this, uh, this doesn't just affect Bill Gates. Right? It's not like Bill Gates is greedy and everyone else isn't because we don't have as much money as Bill Gates. There can be poor, greedy people who are obsessed with 
money. If I get more, I'll be able to survive. As one of the uh, early writers in this space says, uh, that, that greed is possible for those without, because though they may not have the opportunity to possess, they can still have the desire. They've got their heart set on wanting more. And that is the problem. Ultimately, greed comes back to that root sin that sits at the bottom of all of these capital vices, pride. Because when we're being greedy, we're seeking to be rulers of self. When we're being greedy, we desire to take over God's role as our provider and seek to do it ourselves. I mean, the Garden of Eden is a great example, isn't it? Adam and Eve, they're in the garden and they want all of the fruit and they believe that they know best. Pride, greed, fall. What does the Bible say about this sin and, its is- and, and the issues around it? Well, as Christians, of course, we ought to be uncomfortable with greed. Like, if you were a shareholder in the company that Gordon Gecko was uh, uh, addressing, I hope you wouldn't have clapped. And the Bible is full of references that talk about uh, greed and misuse of money, which is a symptom of greed. We saw it in our reading today, didn't we? 1 Timothy 6.10, the love of money of The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Right before that, Paul talks about how in verse 9 that the, the love of money causes people to fall into temptation and trap. And that ultimately we see it wanders them away from the faith. So, Paul warns us here, doesn't he, to be careful about having a disordered desire for the possession of more, and in particularly more money. But it's not like this is the only place where, where the Bible speaks about this. We've heard already of the sin of Adam and Eve, we've heard of uh, the, the rich young ruler that Jesus addresses. But Jesus is also... Uh, uh, he talks about money and greed a lot. Luke twelve fifteen, Jesus says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Or in Matthew six twenty four, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and and money. Again, going straight to the heart of the issue, it's, it's about who you love. It's about where your security is. You cannot serve two masters. Greed is a big problem because we do need to possess some money, right, to live. And so, 
right there in our, in our very day-to-day living, greed is just there tempting us all the time uh, to, to, to make our hearts wander away from our true master and instead serve it, money, the possession of more instead of God. And Jesus actually talks about money and its misuse even more than he talks about sex, would you believe? So what do we do? What do we do with greed? What do we do with the the issue of of having our hearts run after the possession of more, of of seeking to serve uh, money or, or, or possessions instead of God? How do we solve this problem? Well, the good news is that for the last 2,000 years, Christians have struggled and disagreed what they should do about greed. About what the road to overcoming it is. Is the solution to acknowledge that it's a problem and then seek to kind of navigate it carefully with the moderate acquisition of wealth and and good stewardship and generous giving, constantly kind of trying to check our hearts? Or, on the other end, is it voluntary poverty and total abandonment of possessions? These are basically the two roads that Christians have taken to try and deal with the sin of greed. Kind of manage the tension and like, run away. And of course, you can kind of see biblical warrant for both options, right? So, if you look in Acts, what, what, what do you read about the, 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 the disciples in Acts? Well, chapter 2, like, so the very, some of the very first Christians, it seems like they kind of opt for the, the, the run away from money option. So Acts 2, 44 to 45, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone in need. So that, 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 that sounds like kind of option B, we'll call it, the runaway from money. But there are other places in the scriptures where we see kind of the, the, yet the other option, the, the the manage the tension option, option A. So Paul in 2 Thessalonians, so again, these are, these are the, the early Christians, we see already there seems to be two different ways of trying to think about it within the Scripture itself. Maybe the Bible's contradictory. For even, Paul says, when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busybodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. Paul there in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, telling the Christians that they need to earn money. If they're able. So, is this a conflict? Did Paul not know what the early Christians did uh, in a, that we read about in Acts? Like, what's going on? What can we take away from these seemingly uh, conflicting ways of early Christians living together? 
And I think what the answer is, is that different circumstances lead to different applications of principles, of theological principles. So, I think that uh, in both these circumstances, we have the application of some theological principles by uh, Luke, who's telling us what happened in Acts, and by Paul in 2 Thessalonians. Uh, they're, they're, they're showing us how to apply true principles in different circumstances. Circumstances lead to different applications of the principles, which are what? Trust God, be generous, and use your gifts wisely. So, if you're uh, under uh, immense difficulty and persecution as as a body of believers, it possibly makes sense for you to operate uh, in a different sort of way to if you're kind of living in the city and things are going relatively well for you. You can still get work, you can still uh, 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 work together. What matters though, in either circumstance, is that your trust is in the right place, that you're not serving the wrong master. So how is it that we overcome greed? Should we all kind of sell our houses, pull our money and buy, I believe at the moment, it may have gone off the market, but I, I'm pretty sure Taralia, we've, I think there's a couple of streets for sale in Taralia, so we could all roll up there and, they, and then people, when they wanted to go on a Christian conference, they could either, either come to us at Taralia or to the other, other guys at Poatina. Is that what we should do? Or do we get to stay living in our nice, comfortable houses and just keep on carrying on? How do we overcome greed? Well, the answer to either of those questions is to check our hearts and make sure that whatever we decide to do in our circumstances is serving God, not money, or not possessions, not greed. And to do that, we need to first... Be generous. And when I say be generous, there's a whole bunch of people who are are now sitting there, obviously not in this room, it's all the people online, uh, uh, who who are sitting there going, oh, okay, well, can you please tell me what generous looks is exactly like? What is the percentage that I need to fulfil in order to be generous. The first place many of us go when we hear the command of Scripture to be, that we need to be generous is to box ticking. Well, what's the percentage I need to give away in order to be generous? And you want me to tell you what it is right now so that instead of doing work on your heart, you can simply tick the box of generosity. But generosity is actually less about what you give and more about why. They're not disconnected, of course, but the why is certainly more important than the how much. So let me read to you from uh, 2 Corinthians, chapter 8, starting in verse 7. 
Uh, Paul starts off uh, rather facetiously to the Corinthians. They think they're pretty good. Uh, and so he says to them, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Paul says, excel in the grace of giving, excel in generosity, because it shows that you understand who God is and what he's done for you through Jesus. Christians give generously, financially, out of the abundance that God has given them, not just financially, in fact, regardless of what they have financially, they give generously because they understand the far greater gift that God has given us in His Son. And what Jesus gave up in order to come to the earth to, to die uh, uh, in our place so that we might live. We give because we understand the grace of God and it's a, it's a sign of that. And secondly, in the next chapter, Paul encourages them to give generously and cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not, not 5%, not 10%, not 30%, what you've decided to give in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver not a box-ticking giver, not a, not a resentful giver, oh, 10%, there you go. A cheerful giver, like, wow, this money's going to the kingdom, look what God has done for me, look what I can do for him, wow, how awesome is this that God is using me in this way? And in Luke 21 verses 1 through 4, Jesus commands the, the one who gives from her heart, even though it's a small gift uh, monetarily wise, it's a, it's a cheerful, generous gift of all she has because she understands who God is. Let me read you that story. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury, but he also saw a poor widow put two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. You see, we go to, to, the, to quantity to determine generosity, but God goes to the heart. And as uh, Ambrose, who's one of the sort of church fathers, talks, uh, uh, reflects on this, he says, it is the heart that makes the gift rich or poor and gives it its value. What's going on in our heart as we seek to reflect the heart of God is how 
we cultivate a heart of generosity which fights against the disordered love of greed. So what does this look like? Let me, I guess, illustrate what being generous doesn't look like by telling you a story about me. So, uh, and this is uh, a story that I think is, can be illustrative of, of a lot of things. So in, if you go into the kitchen after the church today, uh, you'll see that uh, when they go to make you a coffee, they'll grind the coffee on a coffee grinder. Now that coffee grinder was lovingly and generously donated to this church by me. Uh, which, you know, isn't that wonderful? Aren't I such a generous minister? that I would be so invested in giving you good coffee that I would donate such a thing to you. But do you want to know the truth? What's that? Well, not only did I want good coffee, uh, but even worse than that, Kerry, I wanted a new coffee grinder (laughs) in my house, in the rectory. So you'll get better coffee there, because I've got better burrs, right? I gave my old coffee grinder to the church so that I had an excuse to buy a new coffee grinder in my house. Now, on one level, uh, you know, that's fine, but what wouldn't be fine is if I actually thought that was generous. What wouldn't be fine is if I actually uh, did it because uh, I wanted uh, all the ladies and men who help in the kitchen uh, to uh, think that I was a, a really nice, generous minister. But this sort of thing can happen all the time where we give away things for appearance's sake. And we confuse our hearts into thinking that we're being generous. I remember when I was working in Melbourne, uh, I got offered the gift of a really big TV for my youth group, which I thought was great until I realised they were giving me a really big old plasma CRT, like big is an understatement of how big this thing was, and they were buying for themselves uh, a great kind of LCD, and, and, and by giving it to me, they were just saving themselves a tip fee. Uh, it was useless and actually ungenerous. Being generous is about getting our hearts right, about considering why you give, and then giving for, for the right reason. It's good to give because you want to help the poor. It's good to give because you think it's a good thing to do. But ultimately, we give because we understand who God is, his gracious disposition towards us. And we give because it cultivates a heart that does not get disordered and start to love greed and the abundance of things. Generous giving, whether it's time or money or possessions, this cultivates freedom from greed and it cultivates dependence on God. Which moves to the next thing, which is uh, we need to reimagine 
our possessions and our wealth. And we need to think of ourselves as stewards of God's resources. If we want to beat greed, especially as members of a Western capitalist society, we need to change our perspective on our possessions and wealth. The Apostle Peter writes in uh, 1 Peter 4, verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. You see, that verse applies very widely to the use of your, not just your financial gifts, but spiritual gifts as well. One part of the grace which God has given us to steward and release in service of love of Him and love of neighbour, service of others, is our finance and our possessions. And when we consider ourselves as stewards of the resources of God, it changes the way we think of our our money. Let me ask you this, when you receive your weekly, fortnightly, monthly, whatever it is, uh, superannuation payment, I'm not quite sure how that exactly works, Yet, sorry, forgive me for not being up to that life stage. Uh, or your paycheck, or your pension, or whatever it is, the money that you live off. When, when, it, when it hits your bank account, and you, you, know, you might check your bank account uh, every day, or every week, or every month, making sure everything's there, what goes through your mind? Do you consider that before you, uh, as you read the numbers on the screen, are the resources which God has entrusted to you to steward wisely? Or do you think, this is money that I've worked hard for, that I have earned, that I deserve, and that's mine, and I will do with it as I please? If we want to change our hearts, we have to change our habits. And one of the things that I'm uh, trying to do, as I, since I've been preparing this sermon, is to uh, uh, be more deliberate in the thoughts that I have about my money, particularly when I'm preparing my budget and when I'm looking at my bank account. Not that I was particularly proud of the money that I had earned, because let me tell you, if that was the case, I wouldn't be a minister. But, instead of thinking, here's the money that I have, that I need to, uh, you know, pay the bills with and do things with, my first thought I'm now trying to, to have is, thank you God for these resources. How would you like me to use them well for you? And of course, the answer to that is partly going to be by providing for my family. Of course it is. But it's also going to be about serving others and serving the kingdom. Our possessions, of course, must serve our needs and our humanness, but we must be driven by a desire to serve God. As de Young says, when greed is in our heart, it reveals 
uh, longings for good things gone wrong. We need not label money and possessions as evil. In fact, they count as useful goods. Abundance has its place in human life. Fasting does not preclude feasting. Neither should simplicity and stewardship imply that living on bare necessity is the only way to avoid greed. What matters is what's going on in your heart. And so as you seek to be generous, because God is generous, as you seek to steward your resources, because he actually owns them, the final thing I want to encourage you to do is to check your heart. If you were to give me uh, full and unrestricted access to your bank account or wherever it is that your, your money is, is stored, your bank account and your self-managed super funds or whatever it might be, and I was able to look and to track every single dollar where you'd saved it, which barns you'd built, where you'd spent it, who was the beneficiaries. What conclusion do you think that I would draw about your character, about what you love, about what you value? What would you discover if I did the same to you and my bank account? If you feel uncomfortable thinking about that, that's the start of checking your heart. Or, a different question, how many hours this week have you spent thinking about buying stuff? Yeah, you know, back in the old days, I was alive in these old days, uh, you, you used to like be able to avoid thinking about buying stuff just by like sort of not going out of your house. Um, but now, I'm always thinking about buying stuff because every time I open this thing, it tells me that, it shows me some, it, it knows what I like and it tells me that I could buy more things that I like. And sometimes, as I window shop, either in reality or online, my heart thinks, gosh, it'd be nice if I could just buy that, if I had a little more. There's a moment to check my heart. Or, think about the last relatively major purchase you made. Might have been, you know, a, a new car, might not have been that expensive, might have been a new phone, whatever the last kind of major purchase was. One you had to, you know, wait for a little bit because you were waiting to have enough cash. How happy did you feel when you finally got it? Got that thing you'd been saving for, wanting, desiring? What did it mean to you when you got it? I'm so happy now. Again, it's an invitation to heart check. I'm not saying just because you feel happy because you bought something. That's, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's one of those things, I can't tell you that it's right or wrong. You have to actually do the hard work of, 
of investigating your own heart and what's going on for you. But let's remember that greed is not good. Greed is not good. But it is going to be ever-present and our hearts, if we're not careful, will run there. And if we're going to avoid that, it's a change of mindset. Generosity, stewardship, and trust in God. So let's ask God to help us to trust Him as our provider, to be like Him as we seek to be generous, and ask Him to continue to help us reshape our disordered hearts which run after things other than him. Music